Hello everyone, welcome to Not So Secular, the place where we talk about how the world we live in is not as secular as we often think. We just choose to see it that way. My name is Mon Reyes, I am a youth missionary, and I will be your host here today. On this episode, we'll talk about the assumption of Mary and the powerful truth it reminds us of. Of course, the assumption of Mary in itself is a powerful truth, but I think that it points toward a greater reality that affects how we should view the world today and how we ought to live our lives here in the 21st century. All that and more coming right up. Hello, hello. I hope you're having a great week so far, no matter what time or what day you may be listening to this episode. I am having a good week so far. It's just started. I'm recording this on a Tuesday morning, and the past week has been full, as in it's been really full, but it's the good kind of full. You know that feeling when you do a lot of stuff, but by the end of it, you're tired, you're physically tired but you still feel fulfilled. It's not the kind of tire that's draining. I mean, of course, it's draining physically. It's draining to your body, but it's not draining to your emotions. Not so much. It's not draining to your self, to your being. And that's that's how the past week has been for me. Um, I hope it's been good for you. Last Sunday, so that's two days ago for me and six days ago for you if you're listening to this on a Friday by the time it comes out or if you're listening to this on a different day, maybe it's a bit farther for you. But last Sunday, we celebrated the Solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So this is the Assumption of Mary, the Mother of God. This is what we pray when we pray the rosary on the fourth glorious mystery. We recall the truth that Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven. As a product of Catholic school, well, at least until I was in grade four, uh, this is something that was taught to me growing up. This is something that was taught to me, like I said, when we were praying the rosary, and this is something that was taught in some of our classes, that Mary went straight into heaven. (laughs) And it sounds uh, absurd if you're coming from an outside perspective. And if you're coming from, uh, if you were raised Catholic, then it's not, it may not sound absurd, but it sounds like something that people just know. But why should we care about this? Why is this important? That's something that I think is worth thinking about since this is a very powerful truth that we teach in the Catholic Church. So Pope Pius XII defined the assumption as a dogma, as something that was divinely revealed to us through the church. In Munificentissimus Deus, I hope I didn't just butcher that, in 1950, he defined this as dogma when he said that the Immaculate Mother of God, the ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. Now, what makes that special is because the average Christian or the average Catholic would think that after death, it's our soul that go into heaven, right? But in Mary's case, what we teach and what we believe is that it's not just her soul, it's her body and her soul. And there's an entire discussion talking about what the meaning of the soul is in the first place. There's there's a good Bible Project uh, video about that, so I'll just reference that 
put it on the show notes for you to see for yourself. But there's something about this, right? Knowing that Mary is the mother of God. She was assumed into heaven, body, and soul. There's something about her that sets her apart from the average person because, well, for the average person, when we pass away, when someone we know passes away, their body just doesn't go to heaven, at least not yet. Right, but in the case of Mary, this is this is one of the reasons why we have no, we have no um, dedicated place where Mary was buried. Is because we don't think, we don't believe that Mary was ever buried at all, because of her place as the mother of God. And this is connected, this teaching of the assumption that she was assumed body and soul into heaven is very much tied to the teaching of the immaculate conception as well. When I was in preschool all the way to grade 3, I went to a school that was named after the Immaculate Conception. And here in the Philippines, we also have a school that was named after the Assumption. And the thing about the Immaculate Conception, what we teach in the Immaculate Conception is that Mary is immaculately conceived. Now let me clarify something that is often confused or something that is often mistaken. When we talk about the Immaculate Conception, we are talking about not the conception of Jesus, but the conception of Mary. The conception of Jesus is called the virgin birth. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary was not born of a virgin. And you know those jokes? I think these are the kind of jokes that happen only in Catholic circles. But when you refer to someone having a baby without proper parents, we ask, Anian, Immaculate Conception. <laughs> we make that joke as if that's what Immaculate Conception means. But Immaculate Conception means something else. It's not the virgin birth. Immaculate Conception is the conception of Mary not Jesus. So what is the Immaculate Conception? What we believe in the Immaculate Conception is that when Mary was conceived, she was conceived free from original sin. She didn't inherit the fallen human nature that we receive from Adam, that we receive as part of this fallen humanity. She wasn't deprived from sanctifying grace. This is a gift that was given to her in advance, or I think a better way of putting it is retroactively, because it's also the gift that she received from Jesus, but because she will be bearing Jesus, this is something that was given to her retroactively. She was conceived without original sin. In our case, original sin is erased from us when we get baptized. Of course, some of the consequences of original sin, of our fallen nature, still stick with us, but when we are baptized, we are welcomed back into the family of God. We are welcomed back into the church, and we are we are enabled to respond to God in a new way. There is something that changes when we are baptized. In the case of Mary, this is something, again, it's a gift from God that is given to her in advance. That's one way of putting it. The assumption of Mary, when we say that she was assumed body and soul into heaven, is related and similar to that. Mary, being assumed into heaven with her body and soul, is a gift from God as well, and it is a gift from God that is given to her in advance. What do I mean by that? I'm, I know I'm talking a lot about Catholic teaching here, but bear with me, this pays off. What do I mean by that? In the creed, when we say the creed every Sunday, you take 
notice of what we say on the last lines of the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is what we profess right after the homily during the Sunday Mass. And you might notice, or this might be familiar to you if you go to Sunday Mass on a regular basis, it goes like this. It says, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The resurrection of the dead. That is a very important part of what we believe as Catholics. Another way of putting this is the resurrection of the body. Our bodies are meant to be resurrected in the life of the world to come or in life everlasting. In one of the readings last Sunday, this is from 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 to 27, a letter written by Paul to the church of Corinth addressing some of their concerns, some of their problems. It says, Brothers and sisters, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead came also through man. For just as in Adam all die, so too in Christ shall all be brought to life. Notice the, the language that is being spoken here and what we just talked about when we referred to original sin. Now, reading forward. But each one in proper order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to his God and Father, when he has destroyed every sovereignty and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he subjected everything under his feet. It's very beautiful how Paul responds to the concerns of the church of Corinth about the resurrection because they were having doubts about it. They were having um, certain questions about what will the resurrection body be like. And I want to clear this out because, again, this is very central to our faith. When we say the resurrection of the body, what we mean is resurrection of the body. We, what we don't mean when we say resurrection of the body is our souls going to heaven. That's different, okay? I think sometimes when we hear resurrection of the dead, when we hear resurrection of the body, we associate it with what we think happens after we die. That when we die, our bodies go to either heaven or hell. That that is the destination, the final destination. And that death is, it opens us up to even bigger possibilities because we come to be with God in heaven and all of these things. Now, I'm not saying that that's false. That is true to a certain extent. But that is not the end of the story. The, the story that the Bible focuses on, the story that the scriptures tell us of, does, the, does not end with us going to heaven when we die. It ends with the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We say it every Sunday. What do we mean by that? In the letter from Paul that we read a while ago, it describes he describes Jesus as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, of those who have passed away. Jesus is the first fruits. We will come after. 
since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead came also through man, the man, Jesus. Death came through man, the first man, Adam. The resurrection of the dead comes through Jesus. This is the same gift that we were referring to earlier, this sanctifying grace, this, this defeat of death. And that's exactly what Jesus did. If we talk about the story of Jesus, by the end of the story, it doesn't end with crucifixion. It doesn't end with Jesus being crucified and him being with the Father. No, it doesn't end that way. It ends with him being crucified and after three days, he resurrected from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is a bodily resurrection. How do we know? Because at the end of John, he ate fish. <laughs> what did he do? He invited his apostles. When he met with them again, he offered them breakfast. What did he do? He, he walked alongside those two people in Luke. Two people walking to Emmaus who have lost their hope. He walked alongside them and broke bread with them when they, when they got to Emmaus. Jesus was physical and Paul was responding to this with, with his letter to the Corinthians. He was, he was referring to even this one time when Jesus appeared to a group of 500 people. And Paul, the way Paul is describing Jesus and the way Luke and the other Gospels are describing Jesus, it's describing Jesus being resurrected in bodily form. It was in the flesh. We even know that Thomas, who was late to the party because he didn't know, right? Thomas was late and he said, he didn't believe at first. He said that if you want me to believe, I will believe if I could put my hand in the scars of Jesus or in his wounds, in his hands and on his side. And when Jesus appeared, what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, look at me in spirit, I am resurrected? No, Jesus appears in the middle of the room and what he says is, Thomas, put your hands here and see for yourself, I have come back to life. When we talk about the resurrection of the dead, we're not simply talking about going to heaven. What we're talking about is the resurrection of the dead, the body. It's bodily resurrection. It's not just spiritual resurrection. It's not just our souls going to heaven kind of thing. Now, where does that come from? Where does the idea that our, go our souls go to heaven come from? That is in scripture as well. I'm not saying that that is false. There is truth into that. What I'm simply saying is that it's not the end of the story because at the last day, on the last day, we all will be resurrected from the dead. In Lazarus, the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead in John 11, you might read about this and you'll see that Lazarus was the brother of two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus wasn't around when he was sick. And because of that, he passed away. When Jesus came back, came to visit him and his sisters, Mary and Martha were, were grieving. They, they were coming to Jesus and telling Jesus, Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you had been here, my brother would still be alive. And Jesus says to Martha in, in verse 23 to 24, John 11, 23 to 24, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. What does Martha say? Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Notice how Martha did not simply say, that, talaga ba, Jesus? Will he be resurrected? Is that true? No, he, she affirms what Jesus is saying. She says, I know that he will be resurrected again. 
She didn't expect that, she, that Jesus would resurrect his, her brother right away. But she had this expectation that they will be resurrected on the last day. The resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. This is what they were referring to. They weren't simply referring to going to heaven. They were referring on the last, to the last day when, when our bodies will be resurrected and creation will be redeemed fully. This is connected to the day of the Lord. There is also a wonderful Bible project video about the day of the Lord and I would recommend that you watch it as well. I'm going to put it on the show notes again for you to see for yourself. But in simple terms, the day of the Lord comes from, well, part of the idea of the day of the Lord comes from Daniel 7. It talks about a series of trials and tribulations and about how the Son of Man will be exalted above that. It talks about it talks about God setting things right. And this is something that has happened multiple times in the course of their history. This is something that's continuing to happen multiple times in the course of our history. But altogether, we are looking forward to the day, the bigger day when God would set things right for all humanity, for all of creation. Because God wants to redeem creation. God doesn't want to abandon creation. You see, the perspective about us living a good life and then when we die, we either go to heaven or hell depending on whether we lived well or not well. This kind of perspective, it's, it's incomplete. And I think that's to our detriment because if we look at life in that way, we're more focused on ourselves than we are of God. We think of, how should I live? How should I do this? What should I do so that I could inherit eternal life? Does that, do, do those words sound familiar to you? Those are the words of the rich young man. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And what we see in scripture as, as God, God and man, we were separated because of sin. So man distanced himself from God. But God continues to pursue humanity and God continues to create these pockets of heaven all over the place through the people, his people, Israel, and through the people that he would call specific people like Moses and David and ultimately Jesus and the apostles. This is something that we see that what God is doing is not simply getting people out of this bad earth because it's so corrupted now. What Jesus is doing is he's trying to redeem creation. He's trying to redeem people. He's trying to redeem earth. In Romans chapter 8, it says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. 
the redemption of our bodies. That is part of what we are hoping for. And that is the gift that Mary received in advance, the redemption of her body. She was assumed body and soul. Right now, we're not there yet. We're not yet on Judgment Day. We're not yet at the end of time. And while we are waiting for the ultimate, the eventual resurrection of our bodies, we are here. And when we die, that is the biblical language for it. We come to be with God. We come to be with God. And that is what we mean oftentimes when we talk about going to heaven. That is what we mean oftentimes when we talk about our loved ones. I know that this is this might be something that is very real to you, especially in the middle of a pandemic. That maybe you've lost someone who is close to you. You've lost a friend. You've lost a family member. And it, we talk about these things, about they coming to be with God. And I just want to point out, I love how, how N.T. Wright, he's an Anglican New Testament scholar, how he puts it in one of his books. He talks about how death, death is not a friend. It's not something to want so that we could be with God. Instead, death is a defeated enemy. Death is not part of the plan. Death is not what is supposed to be. Death is a product of sin. Yet death happens to us because we are we are in a fallen state right now. Creation is still in a fallen state right now. We are being redeemed. That is what is happening. But when Jesus rose from the grave, when he rose from the dead, he rendered death powerless. Death is not a friend. Death is a beaten enemy. And so we need not fear death. That is is. A very powerful perspective to have that we're not just simply trying to escape earth to get to the good place, to get to the better place. What God wants ultimately is to redeem his good creation because his creation was made good in the first place. Heaven is not an evacuation center for earth. Heaven is a rescue mission. And we see this when Jesus talks about it. We, we see this when Jesus proclaims his message. What Jesus says is that, is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. Notice his language. He, he doesn't say that repent for we have to go to heaven. He says that repent for heaven is coming near. Heaven is coming here. And we also see this in the prayer that he taught, the Lord's Prayer, when we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. It doesn't say, may we go to your kingdom. It says, your kingdom is coming here. And what does that mean? It says it on the next line. May your will be done. When Jesus' kingdom comes here on earth, it is when his will is being done. That is how we create pockets of heaven here on earth and that is why as catholics we need to have our hands and our feet on the ground we need to be working we need to be expressing our faith through our works we need to be we need to be expressing our charity for other people because our faith is not just spiritual our faith is not detached from what is concrete it's not detached from what is real it is more than real it transcends what we sense and what we see 
It goes beyond it. And it should affect how we live. Heaven is coming. Heaven is coming. And the ultimate coming together. Heaven and earth, they were separated because of sin. The ultimate coming back together of heaven and earth. It will happen at the end of time. In the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And that is why Jesus, notice what Jesus does. When, when God wanted to redeem his people, what did he do? He sent his only son. He didn't transport his people to his space. It was he who entered our space. He took flesh. This is what we talk about when we talk about the incarnation. Jesus took flesh, came to be one with us so that he could provide a way for us to go forward. God wants to redeem creation. The body is not bad. The world is not meant to be bad. It was made good. It's in a fallen state right now, but it was made good and it's being redeemed by God through his people. And that is why when you look to history, there is so much good that the Catholic Church has done. And the Catholic Church has always been, there is a reason why a lot of hospitals are named after saints, why a lot of schools are named after saints. There is a reason why why this is something, we, ha- we all have a patron saint for almost anything. We have patron saints. We have saints who have worked so hard so that, so that justice could be done here on this world. We're not just looking forward. We're not over-focused on the next world. Of course, that's something that we're looking forward to, but our faith in God is something that is meant to be expressed in this world. That is one powerful truth that the assumption of Mary reminds us of, that the, the gift that was given to Mary in advance, the, the redemption of her body and her soul, is something that we are looking forward to as well. And this is where we see the cohesiveness of Catholic teaching. It goes together. It ties in so so neatly. It, it's so beautiful because in the Catholic Church, we also have something called the theology of the body. Notice how, how our perception is, is very different, right? Uh, we don't think that the body is bad and therefore we should leave it and just go to heaven. That's not our perception. We think that the body is good. And yes, there will be a time when, when we will be quote-unquote, separated from the body, but that's, that's an intermediate time. We will get our bodies by the end of time. We will get them back. And so we should take care of it now. We should take care of it now. This, this perspective that the body is bad and that what matters is what's within, this is not Christian teaching. This is not Catholic teaching. This is Gnostic. This is, these are other philosophies that we have imported that we have brought in. This is not what we ought to believe. We don't think that the body is bad. We, you know those jokes when we say, na, Bakit ba ako nag-aaral pa ng algebra? Wala namang algebra sa heaven. <laughs> you know those when we think in that way? The things that matter in heaven and the things that matter here? It, it, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. We don't think that the body is bad. We don't think that the body is just some side effect. We are not souls trapped in a body. We are body and soul. That's who we are. We're not internal spiritual beings who have an outer shell. That's not what Christians or what Catholics believe. That's not what we teach. Your body is a part of you. And 
notice how we treat each other. When I say, look at Sam, or when I say, look at Josh, how do you look at Josh? How do you look at Sam? Do you look at their soul? No. When you look at them, you look at their bodies. Because that's what you see. And that is what is being expressed, that our bodies express who we are. It expresses part of who we are. Now, of course, there's the other extreme, the materialistic extreme, where it's just our bodies and nothing else. There's nothing else, right? That's, that's, another, that's another faulty perspective as well. Of course, we, we, we believe that there is more to our bodies, but the, the body is not everything, but it is something. It is part of who we are. Body and soul. Body and soul. And going back to what I, what I was saying a while ago about the cohesiveness of Catholic teaching, when we talk about the theology of the body, when we talk about when we talk about purity, for example, that's a practical, um, concrete example to give. When the church teaches about sex and about abstinence and about how it is it is valuable, it is important that we save sex for marriage. When when the church teaches about sex, it's not saying. The church is not telling us not to have sex because sex is bad. The church is not telling us not to have sex because sex is dirty. In fact, it's the complete opposite. What the church is telling us is, this, is that sex is so beautiful. Sex is so valuable that we ought to save it for the right time. We ought to save it for the right context, for the right person. And who is the right person? The right person is the one that we make, that we exchange vows to that we exchange eternal vows to before God. It's the same concept as, try to think about it in this way. If you have an Omega watch, if you have an expensive watch, and you have a cheaper watch, something that you bought for 200 pesos or something like that, I don't know, 200 pesos, um, which one would you wear when you go to Divisoria? Which one would you wear if you go to Recto? Which one would you wear if you go to Baclaran? Would you wear your Omega watch out in the open Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you'd wear the 100 peso watch. Maybe you'd wear the 200 peso watch. Is that because you are ashamed of your, of your expensive watch? Not so. Not so. It's because you know its value. When do you wear your expensive watch? You wear your expensive watch when, when you get to flaunt it around, when you get to attend a bigger celebration, a bigger ceremony or something like that, when you get to stay in at a hotel or go to your friend's birthday party and uh, you use the, of course, this is a faulty analogy. <laughs> I mean, the analogy has its faults, but you get the point, right? You don't, you don't, Choose not to wear the expensive watch in certain places, not because you are ashamed or afraid of the expensive watch, but because you value it and you want to take care of it and you want to use it within the right context. The same goes for sex. The, the reason why the church teaches against premarital sex is not because the church is ashamed of sex. It's not because the church is, is depriving us of sex. It's because the church wants us to enjoy sex in the right context. In the way that it was, in a way that it will be fulfilling based on how we were made. Because you are made for so much more than just cheap sex. That's one real application of it, one real side of knowing that the body is not bad, that we're not just, we're not just, our bodies are not just shells. Our bodies are part of who we are. It also helps us make sense of 
why we teach about proper stewardship of creation, why we have to care for the environment. Because if you think about it, if, if our goal is to get to heaven and leave earth behind, then why do we need to take care of earth? It doesn't make sense. If we're going to leave it behind, then to hell with it. But no, since God is a good God who wants to redeem his good creation, we ought to take care of earth also. We ought to take care of what he has given to us here because we're not just leaving it behind. God wants to redeem it. God wants to redeem us and he wants to redeem creation. Can you see the difference that it makes when we say that creation is not bad, the body is not bad, that the body is part of who you are? This is one of the beautiful, beautiful truths that the Assumption of Mary reminds us of. The body is not bad. And if I may bring it one step forward, this is part of why the Catholic Church has its stand on LGBT issues. Because the Catholic Church believes that your body is a part of who you are and your body is not something to be ashamed of. Your body is designed in a particular way. Now, when it comes to attractions, attractions are not sin. Having homosexual attractions are not sin. The church doesn't condemn that. What the church condemns or acts is what you do with yourself, what you do with your body, what you do with someone else. You're not bad for feeling a certain way, just as a straight man would, or a woman, a straight woman would not be bad for, for having an attraction to someone who is not his or her wife, husband, his or her spouse. It's not bad to have attractions. What matters is what do you do with those attractions? It's not bad to feel anger. It's not bad to feel sadness. What counts is what do you do with that sadness? What do you do with that anger? It matters. It matters. And I know I'm opening up a huge conversation here and there's more to be said for sure. For sure. But I just wanted to help at least bring some light into that or to at least start the conversation. The body is is made to be good. It's made to be good. It's part of who you are. Our current bodies might not be what we like. It might, not, it might not be what is ideal for us. And maybe part of that is because we're still here. We're still in the middle. We haven't finished our journey yet. But by the time when we are resurrected, by the end of time, in the resurrection of our bodies, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. When Lazarus, going back to what we were talking about in John 11, when he was resurrected from the dead, he was resurrected not in the same way that Jesus was resurrected. Because Jesus was resurrected in his glorified body. We believe that by the end of time, we will also be resurrected with a glorified body. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what that looks like for me. But that, that is something to be hopeful about. That is something to hope for. And that is something that will help us orient ourselves here in the real world where we live in now. We're not just trying to get rid of where we are to get to heaven. God is doing something greater. He is doing something bigger. And this is what we believe. This, I think, is part of the beauty of the liturgical calendar as well. 
like I said, last Sunday, it was the Assumption, the Solemnity of the Assumption. September 8th, we have the Nativity of Mary. By December 8th, we have the Immaculate Conception. By December 25, we have the Nativity of Christ, when Christ was born. You see how how these teachings are interwoven into our daily into our daily lives. So it's it's okay. If maybe I'm speaking a lot of things right now and maybe you're you're still trying to dig into some of the things that I said at the beginning or I don't know. And I, I don't claim to know everything as well. I am also learning. But the beauty of this is that as we go in our liturgical calendar, as we go in our faith journey, as we grow in our faith, we are continually being illuminated. We are continually knowing the more we know about our faith, the more we know God who is the source of good, the more we can orient ourselves toward what is good. And I think this is something that our 21st century culture, 21st century worldview has, has gotten so wrong. We either go to the first extreme where we think that the body is not important. What matters is what's within. What matters is what I feel. What matters is what, what is what is spiritual only and we disregard the body and we think that our body does not match our inward self does not match what our outward self aka our body is expressing that's the first extreme the second extreme is we think it's all about the body and nothing else that it's just bodies and it's so easy to be hopeless it's so easy to be nihilistic with with all of these perspectives and worldviews that we see around us, but the Catholic Church has beauty in it when we talk about how the body is not bad. Your body is part of who you are, and so you should care for it. And so you should care for other people's bodies as well. You should respect each other. We should respect each other. And that is because our bodies are a part of us. And we are looking forward, again, to that day the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. Yes, we will still die. Um, not all of us will, will make it until that time when we won't have to die anymore when Jesus comes back, but we will all die, most of us, I think. But because of what Jesus has done, we can believe that death is not something to be afraid of because Jesus has conquered death, that even when we die, our bodies die. Jesus can raise us back. And if we don't have to be afraid of death, then how much more can we love? When we don't have fear, how much more can we give? How much more can we extend grace? How much more can we extend forgiveness? How much more can we extend mercy to the people around us? I've said it before, but I want to say it again. As we bring this to a close, heaven is not an evacuation center for earth. Heaven is a rescue mission. And God might be sending you. Are you responding to him? That's it for today, guys. Thank you very much. And let's stay connected. I have my socials down on the description. You could... Keep in touch with me there. If this is something that was valuable to you, um, share it with your friends. We very much appreciate that. And I enjoy getting to have this every week with you. And I am looking for ways to engage with you better. I'm thinking of having some sort of community. I'm thinking if it's through Facebook or something else. So 
keep in touch. Stay tuned for that. And one of the things that I'm look I'm thinking about as well is I'm looking for ways for to establish uh, a, a way of supporting me. For those of you who have been listening to this, who want to take part in helping me improve what we are doing here at Not So Secular, I am looking for ways of of having some sort of support funding so that you could take part in what I am doing here because this is something that I very much enjoy, but it takes so much time. <laughs> this is something that I want to be able to continue as we go forward. I want to hear from you as well that's why i want to establish this community so that so that the, the things that we talk about here are stuff that that matter to you that stuff that you know i could also address where you're coming from your questions and we could learn these things together as we go forward and i am very much excited for what's ahead of us thank you very much for listening all the way through i am praying with you and i'll see you next week bye-bye